0: You know what I love about her reaction is you notice how she bounces back and forth between um, crying and laughing. Do you see that? Smiling, laughing, crying. And it reminds me of that verse in the Bible that says that God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't love a fair share giver, God doesn't love a guilted giver, God doesn't a cheerful giver and, and she's experiencing that cheer in the midst of, you know, sacrifice, very 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 cool. And you know, we're we're in the midst of gift-giving season and many traditions are part of Christmas that we don't even realize trace back to ancient followers of Jesus. The, the idea of giving gifts traces back to people saying, God has given us the gift of Christmas. He's given us the gift of Jesus, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. And so I want to give a gift to remember that to other people that I know who are important to me. And I just, I just want to just ask all of us who, who know that Crossroads is important to you. Uh, we create infrastructures around right here that create sustaining life change, spiritual growth in all of us and actual physical sustenance all across the globe. To Just think about what it means for us to be generous this year. If this is a place you call home, it might be... $5, $50, $500, $5,000, $50,000. I don't know what it is, but I'm just asking all of us who really call this place home, and part of the team to think through, God, how can I honor you by being a, a cheerful giver this year? Well, speaking of cheerful, I've got my sweater on right here, and I'm surprised Kelly didn't make fun of my sweater. But maybe she did. Um, you know, I had a friend who was, I have some friends that have been out of town on weekends for the last several months, and they then were finally able to be back in town a couple of weekends ago and came across us the first time in a while. And they said, we knew we were back at Crossroads and we knew it was wintertime when we saw you break out the cable knit sweater. <laughs> am I that, am I that, you know, predictable that I wear cable knit stuff all the time? Am I that predictable? Yes. All right. That's okay. I don't don't mind being being predictable. Well, at the same time, I like the predictability of every year Christmas centering down on what Christmas is. That's what we're going to do today. And God, I'm asking that you would uh, help us see Christmas with fresh eyes. Some of us are going to hear things we have never heard before. Some of us are going to hear things that we've forgotten. And hopefully all of us are going to sense you and sense your hand of grace in a profound way, as I know I already have during this service. I pray these things according to your name. Amen. Christmas, the basic overview is this. God decides to intervene into our world, to break into our world and inhabits a womb and comes out as a child, a child that is perfectly human and perfectly divine at the same time. And this child grows up and is tempted in every single way that all humans are, yet doesn't succumb to that temptation. And as a result of that, when he's about 33 years old, he goes and he dies a brutal death on the cross, which signifies the justice that I deserve for all of my iniquities, the justice that I and you deserve for all of our issues, all of our, all of our problems. We demand justice in our society. We get upset when there isn't a just payment or punishment for the crime. Justice needs to be in any functioning society. And this traces back to God having a sense of justice. There must be justice for my personal rebelliousness. And the ridiculous thing is God sets out a plan where His own Son pays the justice for the actions of people like me, Matthew one twenty one starts the whole thing off, and here's what it says: She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, save his people from their sins. This is again the idea that to know someone's name in the ancient world is to know their core identity, to know the fabric of their character. And he says you're supposed to give him the name Jesus. Jesus is actually a Greek translation. It's a Greek word, Jesus, that actually is being translated from what Jesus' actual given name was, which was Yeshua. He was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. Yeshua is Hebrew, meaning God saves. Yeshua is also the name Joshua. So actually it's Yeshua to Joshua to Jesus. Any of those names could be used to describe Jesus depending on what part of the world and what language that you use. And Joshua was a huge, hugely... um, Popular name for Jews in the first century because one of the key figures in their national history was a person, Joshua, who took over the baton of leadership from Moses thousands of years earlier. Moses had gone and rescued the people of Israel, taken them out of bondage in Egypt, but he died before the job was done. And Joshua comes along and actually delivers them into the promised land. So Joshua is a very common. Word in the first century, and God says, "I want this child of mine to be named Joshua, too, because he is going to save people. He is going to deliver people. He is going to take people to an entirely new place. Ever notice how many movies revolve around the theme of redemption and rescue? Superhero movies, comic book movies, blockbusters center around this theme of somebody from the outside coming in and rescuing. It taps something deep inside of us. You can even go to YouTube and see some of the most popular videos. One of them being, uh, I think it was called Rescue at Kruger National Park. Anyone ever see that one on YouTube? No? Yes. Okay, one man did. I see that hand. I see another one, please? Yes. This is one where the the buffaloes are getting munched by tigers. You ever see that one? There's a buffalo getting munched by tigers and there's these tourists going, oh, look at him getting eaten by the tigers or the lions. And then all of a sudden, other buffaloes come in and charge the rescue and rescue the buffalo. Now, now, do you know what I'm talking about? Has anyone seen that one? Yeah, yeah. It's really, really heartwarming. We love stuff like that when something gets rescued. 9 11, as awful and as tragic as that day was. We're inspired by firefighters who, who dug into debris and went in rescue and uh, went into buildings to try to help, were inspired by people who are on a plane. When they find that plane is probably going to hit another monument and kill a lot of people, actually rescue, rescue people they don't even know by forcing a plane to ditch and explode in a field in Pennsylvania. Whenever there's a child or even a dog that falls into a well, All national media converges as we look at these workers who are coming from the outside trying to help a creature that can't get out on their own. These are all physical representations of the spiritual reality of you and I needing a rescuer, a savior to come and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Luke chapter 2 is a core message in the midst of Christmas. And here's the way it goes. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring to you good news, good news of great joy, joy to the world that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is from the angel's perspective. And that's what The Awaited Show is. It's from the story of Christmas from the angel's perspective. But look what it says about Jesus here. It says, It says, Good news is coming. He is going to be born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is Messiah. Today, a savior is born to you. Not today, a teacher is born to you. Not today, an example is born to you. Not today, a pristine religious figure is born to you. Today, a savior. That is Jesus' core identity, that he is a savior. He is a rescuer. He is somebody who comes from the outside in. Uh, I've been subscribing to and have been receiving the daily. If you haven't done that and you want to, you can go on Crossroads.net. And sign up for the daily. There will be daily spiritual exercises that come to you that you can use to facilitate your walk and your relationship with God. And these will also be great things to use perhaps over the last weekend of the year when there's no service at Crossroads. Um, But I've been going through that and it's been in the book of Ephesians. How many of us have been doing that through Ephesians? I was curious. Isn't that cool? It's been very good stuff, yeah. Um, And I saw the message of Christmas throughout the book of Ephesians and especially in chapter 2, which we're going to spend the rest of our our time on. Ephesians is written f- at least 50 years after Jesus, Jesus leaves earth. But we see how the message of Christmas is broken down and applied to us today. Here's what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Not as for general people, as for you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions in which you lived, you Brintome, when you Brintome and Bill and Jim and Sue and Clarice, in which you, you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, you. What this says is that I have nothing to impress God on my spiritual resume. There is nothing in my background, in my natural human makeup that makes God say, boy, I'd be impressed to have Brian on my team. No, I am am literally dead. In terms of impressing God, I am dead in my transgressions, all of my kids and for myself. I didn't have to be taught to lie. I naturally lie. I had to be taught to tell the truth. I will naturally protect my own image. I will naturally make myself look better than I need to. I I, I will naturally do things that show that I'm actually not very much like God. I am morally, spiritually astray. I'm dead in my transgressions. One of the worst things that anybody can say around me, especially if my kids were to say this, is, you know, I've always known God. I've I've always been a spiritual person. I've always been a Christian. I would rather you take your fingernails across the chalkboard while I eat the chalk. That is just honestly about the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. Because what it says is, I don't need saved. I don't need rescued. I, I, I've never had any problems in my life. I'm, I'm a really good person that God is very thankful to have. I'm just, I may maybe have some little flaws, but I'm an understandably flawed person in need of just a few things to take me over the top. No, no, you're a dead person. You are spiritually dead. I am a spiritually dead person. My kids, just because they've been going to church for their whole life and, and they're, they're on the lineage downline of a pastor, it does not impress God at all. Just because they have some moral things in their life that other people might not have or just because you've not done things that other people have, it doesn't mean that we impress God. I am dead. I am am in a well when it comes to impressing God. In my natural fallen condition, I can't climb up out of the well. I need somebody to come and save me. I need somebody to come and rescue me. And it continues to blow this out even more in verse 3. All of us who who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. By nature being dead and a just God would justifiably come and pour wrath out on me because I am dead and I do not impress Him because I am selfish. I look out for myself, I glorify myself and I don't glorify Him. But because of His great love for us, that's the greatest little but you will ever see right there. That's a double entendre, too. (laughs) But but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. It's amazing. It's, It's the extremity. You're dead. You're bad. You're far from God. You're completely unimpressive. But God, who is rich in mercy, ever patient, ever laughing, brings grace and brings us to a new place. This is this is amazing. This is amazing. The stark differences between these. And there's a God that lives and embraces that entire tension. I was thinking about this while I was on the treadmill a couple weeks ago. I was, um, you know, it's a great thing in America. You know, you can you don't have to go outside to run. You can run inside. And not only that, you can watch television while you run inside God Bless America. That's just good stuff. Got a little, little television screen right there. All I need is a cooler right beside me. If I had a cooler, they had to start building those in the treadmills, everything would be great. And I'm, and I'm running and, uh, and I'm watching this little thing. Somebody before me had it tuned to VH1. So I was watching what was on there. They had the show on there, a reality show on sex, sex addicts. Anybody ever seen that show on VH1? You awful person. I can't believe you watch it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course, I didn't change the channel. It was actually very interesting. (laughs) It's very interesting. Um, Of course, it's television. So all the sex acts on television are drop dead gorgeous, men and women, they're gorgeous. And you can't help but wonder, man, if I look like that, maybe everybody would want me, too, and I would be a sex addict. I mean, they're just they're just (laughs) utterly beautiful looking people. And as they dig into this thing, they find out that all these people have in common being abused and having very difficult childhoods. And the psychologists who interact with these people at this five-star resort out in California somewhere say this is the way it is. When you're a sex addict, there is always trauma in your family of origin. And this one woman comes to the realization that she's been abused, I think it was at 12 years old. And then what she did as a coping mechanism is through junior high and high school, she tried to capture as many boys' virginity as possible. And then this eventually she got found out and she was called all kinds of names. And then and she's reflecting on this and realizing what she's done to boys. She says things like, I am a monster, I'm a monster. I can't believe I'm, I'm a bad person. I'm an awful she just she, she just breaks down. And the psychiatrists are trying to redirect her. They're talking with each other and saying, we need to help her see that she's a victim, that she's not a bad person. So they get to her and they say, you're not a bad person. She says, I am a bad person. They say, no, you're not a bad person. She says, yes, I am. They go back and back and forth. And I think, oh, my goodness. They're taking this the entirely wrong way, or at least the wrong way that Jesus would take this. What this woman needs to hear and why she's not feeling any sense of help is what she needs to hear is, yes, you are a bad person. You are an awful person. This is ridiculous, what's happened. And... You have unsurpassed value and unsurpassed worth because there is a rescue that came and died for you. Loves you so much he has given up his life for you. This this opposite poles is why there is mysteriousness in the nature of God. Yes, you are bad, yet God doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you himself, you know, the value of anything based on what somebody's willing to pay for it on eBay. That's the value, not what you think what someone will pay. And God says the value of this woman, is his pristine, perfect son who dies. That is amazing. That is amazing grace. That is God being gracious in his mercy. That is crazy ridiculous. If that woman were to hear that, that you can't, you don't have to ignore your bads, you don't have to ignore your sin, but instead you can embrace that God says that you're worthy and you are loved and he gives you mercy and he comes to rescue her, she might have a chance with that. But as it is, trying to psychologize our is that a word? Should be. Psychologize our way out of a pit. Just won't help. So reading USA today, this last week, and on the front page of I think it was Tuesday or so, it uh, said this. This is the headline. Mixing their religion. Many choose their faith from a spiritual buffet. Um, Here's what it says. It says going to church this Sunday, look around. The chances are that one in five of the people there find spiritual energy in mountains or trees and one in six believe in the evil eye, that certain people can cast curses with a look, beliefs your Christian pastor doesn't teach. In a Catholic church, chances are that one in five members believe in reincarnation in a way never taught in catechism class, that you'll be reborn in this world again and again. Elements of Eastern faiths and New Age thinking have been widely adopted by 65% of U.S. adults, including many who call themselves Protestants and Catholics is from the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. Let me say a couple things about this. First of all, I, for one, it doesn't bother me at all when someone says Happy Holidays versus Merry Christmas. Doesn't bother me at all. Doesn't bother me at all when someone says Seasons Greetings. Doesn't bother me at all. I, I love living in America and living in America, I know what I get with America is a pluralistic society where there's a variety of spiritualities, beliefs and religions and the way it, it was set up that way. And so that's fine. I, I, it doesn't bother me at all that people don't like Christmas or want to take Christ out of Christmas, all these things that get people upset. It doesn't bother me at all. That is what you believe and that's cool. But what does bother me is if we were to say that Christmas is just really like any other holiday. It's just like Kwanzaa or just like Hanukkah. There's there's really no difference. So you just take a little of this or that. It is diametrically opposed to every other spiritual holiday. Exactly the opposite. Totally. Every spiritual holiday, every other religion other than the religion, spiritualized associated with Jesus says, you work your way up the pits. Work your way up out of the well. And if you die before you get out, that's okay. You're going to be reincarnated the next life and you'll just pick right back up wherever you were in the pit. And it's all about you getting to where you need to go. It's all about you being greater on the curve. It's all about you trying harder. It's try, 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 try. And Jesus says, no, you trust. You don't try. You trust that I am your redeemer. I am your savior. I am your rescuer. I am the one that comes and turns things. I am the Joshua that takes you to a new place. When we take our coupon, we take our coupon someplace and redeem it and we get back savings. We take our glass and we take it to a redemption center and we crush it and redeem it and we take away cash. That's what rede- redemption is. That's what God does. He takes one thing and then turns around and presents another. And we trust in that process. This is an amazing, amazing, beautiful thing. It causes us to reinterpret things we might see around in the world. Things such as Tiger Woods. Let's talk about that for a minute, shall we? Um, (laughs) Everybody else is, so let me just go and talk about it, too, huh? It amazes me, this whole story, it amazes me how people are so amazed by this. Uh, It amazes me how angry people are with Tiger Woods. I've never been a big Tiger Woods fan, but just, hey, hey, come on, come on. I have no idea the things that I would do if you gave me unlimited adoration and unlimited resources. If you gave me unlimited adoration, unlimited resources, and I was out about the globe 90% of the day, I have no concept of the things that I would fall prey to. You know what? I have in me the ability to do what Tiger Woods has done. I have that in me. I recognize that in my natural self, I'm a fallen person, my natural self, I'm capable of awful things. And so why would I be surprised with that? I'm surprised that anybody's surprised. I'm surprised that you have such spiritual pride that you think you're beyond making a mistake. Because you never recognize that you're not dead. No, 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 no. I'm I'm a very good person. I could never. Yes, you could. Yes, you could. And if you don't think you can, it shows that you don't know Jesus. You don't have God. You don't have Christmas. Christmas is about people who are lowly in a well, having no hope whatsoever unless it was the grace of God that comes in from the outside. So obviously I don't approve of all of what Tiger Woods has done, but I root for him. I root for grace to break into his life. And maybe it has. I don't know. I root for mercy to come. I root for for him to see that how he applies himself on the golf course, getting himself better and better and better does not work in the spiritual world. You don't apply yourself and make yourself better and better and better. You trust a Redeemer, a Rescuer, because unto Tiger is born a Savior. Unto Brian is born a Savior. Unto Janine is born a Rescuer. This is beautiful. This is crazy. I, I really started to see this with fresh perspective when I was over in India a couple months ago. um, When a girl who's been kidnapped and put into a brothel, forced to do 100, 250 sex acts a month, that girl is dead to society. She is dead. Her life is just over. Um, And then when somebody from the outside comes in, develops a relationship with her to gather evidence, and then goes back and comes back with legal forces and physically raid and take her away, rescue her from her captors and set her in a safe place, a home. And when that girl who lives in a spiritual society hears about Jesus, she has never heard that before. People say all religions are the same. Oh my goodness, I wish she would study a religion sometimes. This girl has been brought up in a Hindu society where there are figures like the the god Kali or goddess Kali who devours humans and has skulls around her neck and blood coming out. She's grown up in a society where the gods are very far off. The gods don't come and get you. The gods don't care about you. The gods' toe might fall on you and kill you, literally. But no, the gods don't care about you. And so when she is rescued, when she is redeemed, when she is saved, and for the first time she hears about a Savior, she hears about Jesus, unto us a child is born. She goes, a Savior, I've had one of those. I know what that looks like. Are you telling me that's what Jesus does for me? He will spiritually save me from my guilt and my natural progression of where I was going? And there is reception and there is a trusting. That is beautiful. I, I would want none of us to ever have to experience that kind of pain. But I would want all of us to have some sort of spiritual sanity to realize, no, I am dead in my transgressions and I need a God that comes and gets me verse 7 says this the incomparable riches of his grace grace is a, is not a paycheck a paycheck is when i work for something and then you give it to me grace is just god's riches that he just decides to dump in your account simply because he's god and he's generous the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us how's expressed to us in jesus christ It's not expressed to us in us convincing ourselves that God is good and God is love while He is. It comes because we have an object lesson of Jesus, the man, the God-man that was born and went through the entire existence of life for our benefit. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Not by works, not by works, not by morality, not by religious upbringing, not by works at all. It's by Jesus's grace. It's by His riches, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Savior, to come and and take Brian away to a new place that I don't have the spiritual fortitude to go on my own. Now, There's two types of people in here that this relates to. Some of us, you're sitting here and this can be your first Christmas. This will be your first Christmas. You're going, wow. I've never considered that before. And you may trust in Jesus this Christmas and you may know him as Savior, Rescuer, Redeemer, Lover, Merciful One. This may be the first time you receive God's gift of salvation, to receive the gift of Jesus, not to barter with God, but to receive it. And others of us, this is old news. It's good news, but it's old news. We've received this, we believe this, but it doesn't really affect the way our day-to-day life operate. When I live in the redeeming power of who Jesus is, when I live in the redeeming beautiful tapestry of love that God has woven from generation to generation that starts with the Redeemer, a rescuer, that crashed into this world, came and grabbed a person like me, a person like you, to take us to a promised land. I say joy, joy to the world, not another Christmas. I say no matter what I don't have, I have grace. I have mercy. I have God's favor. I have the good news of the Gospel. This, my friends, is Christmas. Joy to the world. i invite you to uh, stand right now. Why don't we stand right now? And God, this is a prayer of mine. I right now am more spiritually sane than I may ever be as I relive this message. And some of us are more alive right now than we were when we came in here. And we want to keep this going over the next couple weeks, over the next several years and decades. We want to live in the awareness of your gift of grace, your gift of Jesus. The joy that You bring, not the joy I work for, the the joy I deserve, the joy You bring. God, hear this anthem of ours, joy to the world.